Now, one of the questions that I get asked more than any other as a pastor is how do you hear God's voice? I've been asked that question time and time and time again. How do you discern what God is saying? Often people will come to me and they will present a situation and they will say, James, what shall I do? And I go, I have no idea, like the wise pastor that I am. But I'm sure Jesus might have something to say about it. It's a great tip, that one, for anyone that... um... But often people do want to... They do genuinely want advice, don't they? They want you to tell them what to do. And it's such an amazing starting point just to stand back and to go back to them and you're like, have you asked, you're a Christian, have you asked Jesus? And often they're like, no. And it's a good question. It's a good question. How do we discern the Lord's voice? It's a many layered question. And I think that all of us as Christians spend our life answering that question. I don't think we ever go, do you not nailed it, sorted? I know exactly how the Lord speaks. I never need to seek him again. Because actually that's part of the process. It's like, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? How are you moving? Where are you moving in this situation? And this question can be answered on so many different levels. Very simply, listen and obey. There we go. It's very simple. But then suddenly you go into the next set of questions. Well, how do you listen? How do you know whether it's God? What if God is silent? What What if I'm angry with God? How do I know that it's the Lord? In the same way that a child might come up to you and they say, they might ask a really simple question. How do you become friends with people? And you'd go, well, you know, you'd be nice to them and all of those kind of things. But actually, let's just be honest. Friendship is complicated, isn't it? It's many layered. In our church, we talk often about having a personal relationship with Jesus, where he speaks to us, where he guides us, he directs us, he comforts us, he feeds our souls. So how, how do we grow in hearing God's voice? And I'm continuing in the series this evening. This is part number four. It's obviously a big topic. And Ian started the, the whole series with this analogy that I want to return to. Firstly, just, to, just picture a radio, old school radio. And the first thing that you've got to ask is is, is, is the radio turned on or off? Because actually for many Christians, you, there might be a Christian, but the radio's not even on. So that's the first point. Then the second one is, is the radio tuned into the right frequency? Because you can be on, you can have a radio on, but actually you're not really listening, you're not really tuned in. And then you could even be on the right frequency, but it's in the background, it's, it's just noise in the background. I don't know if you do that. You're driving along in your car or you're doing whatever you do and there's something happening in the background but you're not tuned in, you're not paying attention and you're not listening. And he even went one step further and he said, to the point where you're actually singing along with what's going on. And that's what it feels like when we're beginning to operate with the Lord, when we're moving to that next stage because what is it that we're talking about? Why? Why even bother hearing the voice of God? At the heart of what we're talking about might be this phrase, deep friendship with God. So often people are asking the question, you know, how do I hear God's voice? What is it that God's going to direct me to do? Thinking that it's all about direction. Do you know what? A relationship with God is so much more than direction. It's about deep friendship. In the scriptures, it says, I no longer call you slaves for a slave or a servant. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is, but instead I call you friends. That's an image, deep friendship. Would you describe 
your relationship with the Lord as deep friendship? It's a challenging thought, isn't it? What does it look like to have deep friendship? What does that feel like? So I want to look at a passage from the book of Acts this evening. So if you've got a Bible, just grab it. We're going to be in Acts 13. And it's a nice short passage because of the warmth. That's what I think. I reckon you can listen to me for 23.1 minutes before you start sweating out. And so, uh, so let's go. I'm going to talk really fast in order that we can get through this. No, we're going to rest in this. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with the Herod Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I've got a number of points this evening and I would start with this. Firstly, we hear God in community. We have got the most beautiful picture of a community here. You might not read it, read it realise it, sorry, as you look at those names, but those names represent an incredibly multicultural community that's gathered together around the person of Jesus. And so we've got these names. We've got Barnabas is mentioned here. He's known elsewhere in the, in the scriptures as the son of encouragement. He's a Jew from the Jerusalem church, but was originally from Cyprus. We've got Simeon, and that's a Jewish name. It's highly likely that Simeon was an African was an African, and Lucius was from Cyrene, which was also in North Africa. So we have two Africans on the leadership team. We've got Manaean is a Jewish name. And the NIV says about Manaean that he'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And you might be like, why have they put that in? But the, a mean, the original meaning of the phrase brought up with literally means that he was a foster brother or a close friend. So F.F. Bruce, who's a, who's a scholar, a biblical scholar, says that the title was given to boys of the same age as royal princes who were taken to the royal court to be brought up with the prince. It's like a massive toddler group where people have been imported in. And for some people, that is a nightmare. But for myself, actually... I like my children, but toddler groups, not so much. <laughs> so Manaean is a man who was brought up among the enemies of Jesus in the court of Herod who beheaded John the Baptist and who helped put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't a favourable environment. Then there's Saul, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, the ultra-zealous Jewish rabbi. So we've got this picture of deep community here. And the truth is that we need to build relationships of trust and accountability with other Christians. Notice the Holy Spirit spoke in the context of deep relationship within the church. We have all of these people sharing life together, encouraging one another, correcting one another, speaking the truth to one another, the one another's. There's lots of one another's in scripture. And, and it's in this moment where they're together and they're seeking the Lord that we hear the word of God spoken clearly and accurately in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3, the apostle Paul says this in verse 16, and he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. What have we just done? That's what we've just done. 
sung songs to the Lord as we've shared our gratitude for what God has been doing. So it's in this context. And I'm very suspicious when people come up to me and they give a word and they are people that have been isolated, out of community. When somebody says, do you know what, I'm, I'm not in a small group, I'm not in a men's group or a women's group, I, I've been somewhat alienated from the church, other Christians have hurt me, other churches have hurt me, I've withdrawn from Christian community, I, I am defensive, I'm not easily corrected, but I believe that I have the word of the Lord for you. And I tell you why, because there's often something going on, there, on in their heart whereby they've withdrawn. Christian community is so stabilizing for us, those relationships. And if, if I have one of those moments, I'm like, do you know, I will absolutely, I will listen to what anybody has to say. But in that process of weighing it up, you're like, okay, you, you are out of community. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because most of what we then begin to hear is judgment and criticalness that emerges from our own flesh and not the word that springs from the Holy Spirit. We, are, we have to build relationships of trust and accountability. I don't know about you, but let's say you're going through something big in life. And it's really easy for, if, if you're by yourself or if you're with a partner, to just go inward at that moment. It's like, it's just us and we need to make this decision. Do you know what? Best decisions are formed when we have a group of people around us and we're like, do you know what? I'm facing this big thing. I'm, my health's maybe not good or I'm looking at doing this job or I'm looking at moving to this new city or whatever it is. And then suddenly we're beginning to form this relationship. We share and we're like, would you pray for me? Would you continue? Would you walk with us through this? Would you fast, would you fast with us? Will you be part of this process? It makes such a difference when we're walking with us. What do you think about this? Suddenly we're inviting people into that process. Community is so incredibly important. So that's the first point, in community, in community, in community. And then he speaks through our desires and passions. That, this is the second one. It's highly likely that God's word and God's calling is gonna be consistent with what the Lord is already doing in your life. We need step-by-step -step obedience in order to get further revelation of what the Lord wants to do in the future. And I often use this image when I'm talking about the journey of faith of a spiral staircase. Because some people come to me and they might say this, I just want to know what the Lord has for my life. I wish that he'd tell me, I wish that he'd just paint it out. And I sit there and I think, you probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't want to know the whole journey. The Lord, the way that the Lord takes us is that he reveals his picture of in our life is step by step by step as we're obedient. And that's why it's like a spiral staircase. We cannot see to the top, but we take this, the next step of the journey is that the Lord leads us through our desires and passions. He's like, I've made you like this. I've created you with these gifts and these skills. And suddenly our heart begins to warm and then we push into that. And that's often the journey of how the Lord begins to speak. Often we say, Lord, today I'm at a crossroads. What do you want me to say? Next year, I'll be at another crossroads. What are you saying then? Can you see, we have decisions that we make throughout our life. First, you know, this, this is an example. First, Lord, you, we pray, Lord, do you want me to go to university? And then what are you calling me to? And then what uni? And then what should I study? And then, Lord, what job? And then what career move? 
Lord, what, do you want me to leave this and do something else? I'm not sure about what I'm doing. Is, may, has my time ended here? Are you moving me on? Lord, do you want me to leave this and do something else? Step by step by step, the Lord leads us as we obey his voice. So when somebody says, for example, God's calling me to be a missionary overseas, I'd sit down and I would ask the person, what are you currently doing that suggests that God might say this to you? Because before he's calling you to do a 20 feet vault, you better have some track record of being able to vault 12 feet. Before God calls you overseas, are you involved in cross-cultural relationships right here? Has God used you to lead other people to faith right here in your job, in the place that you're working right now? Right now, do you have a healthy, stable walk with Jesus in the context of this community? Because there's no magic that suddenly happens spiritually to, to you when you get on a plane. You don't suddenly become an evangelist as you're flying over somewhere. It's like, the Lord fills you. You don't suddenly become mature just because you're 8,000 miles from home. Actually, the reverse is most often true. All of your weaknesses, all of the places that you're emotionally broken, all the places that you're spiritually immature get exposed when the support of a strong church is pulled away. So God's word to you is most often going to be consistent with what God has already been doing in your life. It's the next step. It's not, a, it's not a radical departure most oftentimes from what the Lord is already weaving. So that's the second thing, is that the Lord speaks to us through our desires and passions. And then the third thing is this. It's quite a simple point. Make space, make space, make space, make space. We hear God's voice when we slow down long enough to listen while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. The church took time to seek the Lord. They spent time focusing time on, on God. To their prayer was added fasting. They made room in their lives for him to speak because they realised that as they humbled themselves, that he knows, that he knows best. They created an environment where they could invite the Lord's presence. They humbled themselves and they said, God speak. Lord, you know best. You know what's going on. Perhaps the greatest obstacle to hearing God's voice now is simply busyness. We live overstuffed, overfilled, overstimulated lives. We eat too much, we shop too much, we own too much. And we cram too much into our houses and into our crowded lives. And if we were to be honest and authentic, we would say that there's simply no room in our lives for the voice of God. We as a culture are addicted to busyness on the one hand and distraction on the other. It's two things, because I don't think we could say that everybody's busy. I think that we could say actually a lot of people are just distracted, that they've buried themselves in things. If you're stuck right now, if you're frustrated, if you've hit a wall in an area of your life, if you don't have an answer, why not slow down long enough for the Lord to begin to speak and listen to his voice? Because I can tell you one thing, the Lord is a lot smarter than you are. And I know we might chuckle at that, but how much time do we spend actually thinking that we're pretty smart? Because we do. We think that we've got it all together. We think we know what we're doing. The Lord is infinitely more creative than we are in coming up with solutions. 
You know, when we're sitting there, we're like trying to solve a problem. It was interesting coming back to this idea of creativity that um, Paul talked about earlier. We will try anything to solve a problem in our own minds. Well, if I did this, or if I did this, or if I did this. There's this genius moment where we stop and we're like, Lord, what would you have to say about this? If he really is the creator of all things, do we not think that he would know better than us? It's in the presence of worship, as we're worshiping together, that the Lord just begins to speak. As we humble ourselves long enough to say, Lord, I don't, do not know. Only you know. He sees the future. He knows the consequences of our decisions. He sees the heart. He knows what's going on already. He sees below the surface. He sees what we cannot see. He has answers for your life, especially when you're at a crossroads. When you're facing a new stage in your life, why wouldn't you say something like Joshua said in the Old Testament when he was facing a new stage in his ministry? He said this, Joshua 5 verse 14, what message does my Lord have for his servant? What message? What is it that you want to say? Why not pray the prayer of the child Samuel who grew up to be the, the leader of the nation of Israel? In 1 Samuel 3 verse 9, he says this, speak Lord for your servant is listening. Do you know what? I think that is one of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture. It's probably my most uttered prayer, personally. You know how some things go into your soul and you're like, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Because it's got everything in there. It says that, Lord, you speak, and Lord, that I humble myself. Your servant's listening. What is it that you want to do? I think God spells love the same way that everybody else does. Time. If, if you and I are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, what does that look like? What is, that, what is the actual work, outworking of that? I think it's time. Time with the Lord. Be, be really honest. Is there space in your life to hear the Lord? Make space. Make space. Make space. Well, how do you make space? It's all very well saying, James is like, you just need to make space for the Lord. What does that even look like? The truth is, every single one of us is in control of our diary. We think that we're not, but we are in control of our diary. Your, your diary or your calendar will reflect what you value. So if, if, you, if I was to look at your calendar, what would it say that you value? What would it tell me that you value? If you were to put in time slots of everything that you did during your week, this would be quite an interesting exercise. What a brilliant idea. I'd love you all to bring in your timesheet for next week. <laughs> and we're going to do a little audit of time that is spent. But wouldn't that be a fascinating exercise? Yes, you've got your time at work. You've got these things that you're doing. But what does that actually look like? I was, I was really struck by this thought as I was preparing that one of the things that we often struggle with is, is, is hearing the voice of the Lord and, and Christian community. And I was mentioning it this morning that I was saying, you know, you go back to the disciples, they were in one another's homes daily. So they were, they were going up to the temple court. So one of the greatest challenges that we have is that we sit there and think we've done well if we make it to church on a Sunday. So for many people, they're like, man, I have, I've succeeded. I made it. And some of you are like, I, I did well, I made it. It's pretty hot out there, James. 
And I came to church tonight and I was thinking about a barbecue. And I firstly want to say, I do not underestimate that because I was also thinking about a barbecue. I happened to be preaching, I had an appointment with a microphone. However, within our culture, we are battling against everything, even on Sunday. You know, for, for parents in the morning, it would be, oh no, kids in swimming lessons. Or one of the biggest things that I have for inviting my friends who don't know Jesus to church at my stage of life is that all of them do classes on a Sunday morning already, that their life is already full. It used to be that that time was free. Now it's, oh, I'm afraid. I would come, but my, my child's in a swimming lesson and we actually do part run and we, do, do you know what I mean? Like fill in the blank. So, so we have this. So we do Sunday and we think we're doing well. For, for the keener amongst us, they make it to small group. Shabba. Like two things a week. And so you're sitting there and you're going, wow, so they're doing three hours of Christian community a week. It's Sorry, I'm not meaning to underestimate, but this is tiny, isn't it? And then we're sitting there, and for the other 92 hours a week, I don't know how many hours there are in a week. (laughs) Awake hours, I think that's about right. Some of you sleep a lot. Um... But can you see how weighted it is when we're talking about three hours versus how many hours on the other side? And then we're wondering why we're struggling to be in community and to hear the voice of the Lord. And it's, it's not all about, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about Christian activity right now. I'm not talking about doing small group because you have to do a small group to tick a list. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about connection. I'm talking about this, this picture that we have of deep community. I have this picture that we have that we get together and that we pray together and we fast together because something, somebody's got something going on in their life and we're like, wow, that's a massive thing that's going on in your life. Can I pray and can I fast for you? Because we have that kind of relationship with people. So we're in a context in Wix. It's, it's a massive struggle. So we've got this going on in community but there's also the time that we spend outside of that with the Lord as well. You have to fight for it, is my point. You have to carve it out. So often we meet with people and it's like, well, how are you spending your time? When did you last, when was the last time that you had some solitude with Jesus? When did you get alone with him? When did you sit? You've got this massive thing going on in your life. How did you process that with the Lord? What did that look like? Well, I got up and I prayed for one minute in the morning about this thing that's happening and then I moved on. This isn't what they did in the scriptures. They worshiped together and they fasted. If I look at my own life and some of the, you know, the crossroad moments just before we came down here and started this church, the Lord, me and Jen felt like the Lord was speaking and, and he was leading us and he was stirring us towards something. We felt like we were going to leave our home and move to a, a new country, a new nation, a new place, start again. It's like, Lord, what are you saying? So we got together and we were like, we're going to fast. We're going to have a three-day fast and we're going to pray and we're going to get our community around us to pray because this is a big decision that we don't want to just go off on some track and find ourselves down here. We're like, we want to hear the Lord's voice. And then again, as decisions come, it's like, and, the, and you'll feel the promptings of the Lord throughout. I'm hoping as the Lord begins to speak, more and more you'll feel his promptings. It's like, I need to stop and pray about this. I need to make space. So what does that look like? If you're making a big decision, I'd start with, 
an hour or two in nature where you just get outside and you're like, Lord, I'm just gonna walk. I'm gonna look at your creation and I pray that you're gonna speak. Paul spoke last week about the scriptures. So sorry, I'm not ignoring the scriptures. I just know that Paul spoke on that. The Lord most often speaks through scripture. It's our primary lens. But in order, we have to get alone with the scriptures. I'd say take a journal with you. And then you just start to write down, Lord, what, what is it that I think that you're saying? You're like, Lord, I think that you're saying this. And I think that you're saying this. A journal, a Bible, Sometimes I just take something that inspires my soul. I love testimonies of faith. That's one of my things is that I love a good story where you see the power of God in somebody's life. And I read that because I'm like, yes, God, you speak, you move. I love the stories of Heidi Baker. There's an amazing book called There's Always Enough. And when you read a book like that and you see miracles happening, that people are living in places where they need to see miracles daily. The truth is we're living in places where we need to see miracles daily. It's just that we're not pressing into it because we feel like we're living in peacetime. Do you know what? There is a spiritual battle going out there over our city. There is a spiritual battle happening over our nation. But if we're not careful, we are utterly blind to what's going on. That is not to terrify us. That's just the truth. There are people out there who know nothing of the Lord. They, they've never met him. They need to know Jesus. These are some of our greatest weapons, the sword of the spirit. You know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of the Lord, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the helmet of salvation. We're given this armor because we're in a battle and we need it. We need every part of what the Lord's gonna give us. And so as you're making decisions, here's a grid that might help you. We make space for the Lord to speak. Finally, you're like, yes, he's at his final point. I believe that we hear in proportion to our willingness to respond to God's voice. The Lord is always speaking. The Lord is always trying to get our attention. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, I have no idea how God spoke to the church when it says the Holy Spirit said. What did that even look? Do you ever wonder about things like that? The Holy Spirit said, was it an audible voice? Was it a, the Holy Spirit says? Was it a prophetic word that was given from somebody in the congregation? They were worshiping, worshiping and praying, then somebody gets up and they're like, bang, prophetic word. Believe that the Holy Spirit's saying this. We don't know what that looked like. It could have been a dream. I don't know that the Lord has ever spoken to you through a dream. One of mine and, I don't have time for it. I'm getting sidetracked. It's a very good story, but not for now. But what we read in this text is that the church was willing to obey God once they heard the voice of God. God said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. The church at Antioch doesn't say, but we already have plans for Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas was gonna head up the men's ministry. He's a very, very important person. We've got plans for these guys, call somebody else. We joke, <laughs> we joke. But it's so often true. What happens? They submitted their plans to the voice of the Lord. I'm reminded of 
Ruth and Nathan, who have just gone off to plant in Falmouth. Some of you know them, some of you don't know them, but they've been some of mine and Jen's greatest friends for 20 years. And I probably thought that they would be here for the rest of our time in ministry in this church. And we were meeting to talk to them about the plans of, you know, what was happening next with the church. And they turned around and they were like, the Lord has spoken to us about moving and planting a church. And I said, no, it's not the Lord. (laughs) Being the man of faith that I am, I said, Nathan, we have men's ministry and you are not moving. No, but genuinely, in that moment, it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) That is a curveball to me. It was like a slap round the chopsies. I've recovered about it and I can talk about it without crying now. So that's a move forward. But genuinely, it was a moment where the Lord's like, they're not yours, they're mine. Set apart for me, Ruth and Nathan. And what's our response is that we, that we live this life with open hands. Each one of us has to. Is that he gives and takes away, but blessed be his name. I know that there are people right now in Cornwall, in Falmouth, that will meet the Lord because of Ruth and Nathan, because they've obeyed his voice. I know that there will be some of you that will be called to go to other places and that people will come to faith because you obeyed the Lord's call. We are called to be utterly open-handed in this life. We do not get to control. And there's something that I would want to tell you is that Jesus Christ leads this church. Sometimes I might say, you know, people are like, are you the senior pastor? And I'm like, do you know what? Supposedly. But if we're not following the voice of the Lord, then we're scuppered. Do you know what? I don't want to do it. I want to go and do something else. If there's not freedom for the Spirit to move in this place, if there's not chance for the prophetic voice to speak, if the power of God's not welcome here, let's go and join a club. David Lloyd would do it much better than we would. You could be in a jacuzzi right now, swimming pool. No, but it's true, set apart. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do as leaders. We're called to wait on the Lord. And you in your own households and lives, you're called to wait on the Lord. You're called to humble yourself before him and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What is it that you've got for me today? I think often we think in years and decades. I think a better question is to start every day and to say, Lord, what is it that you've got for me today? As I get out of bed, Lord, who is it that you want me to encourage today? Because there's something really, really interesting that happens when we begin to hear the voice of God, is that very much in our early stages of Christian maturity, it ends up all being about us. It's like, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are the plans that you have for me? Everything's about me. And then what happens as we grow in faith is that we begin to realise that we're no longer the centre of the universe. And the Lord says... Lift up your eyes. Who is it that I'm calling you to today? Who is it that I'm calling you to bless? Who is it that I'm calling you to pray for healing to? Can you see how it shifts? And suddenly your 
You become Jesus' hands and feet. That's the picture of what the church is in this city. We are his hands and feet. We are his ambassadors. We are his people called into this city, called into our neighbourhoods, called into our communities, called into our families. We are a called people. And as we obey, he pours out. There's a scripture, which I've got here. (laughs) Consider Mark 4.24. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even that he has will be taken from him. And the measure we use is the extent of our openness to what God is saying. What that, there's a spiritual principle in there. As we open ourselves before the Lord and we are faithful with what he gives us, he gives us more. You see it throughout the scriptures, the parable of the talents. All we can do, every single one of us, is be faithful with what Jesus has put in front of us. That's it. That's success in this life, faithfulness to the Lord. Obeying his voice, listening and obeying. Why don't we stand?